I think if you really want to be accurate at reading people, you're looking for what are the hidden emotions that someone doesn't feel safe sharing. And one, can you address them? But two, can you make them feel more safe? Research finds it's about 60 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. That's a lot. It's insane. Your subconscious is incredibly good at reading cues, but for some reason we've forgotten them. 82% of our judgments of people have to do with warmth and competence alone. Vanessa Van Edwards back in the house yes. to teach us how we can read people, what cues they're giving, and what cues we're giving out. That's right. And where I want to start is something that you say in your book about how you can like go on a date or go like to a job interview mm -hmm. and you think, oh my God, they love me. <laughs> or they, they're going to immediately call me. The guy's going to call me as soon as I get home. Yep. I felt the connection. I saw all the signs and then you get completely blindsided. And it's oh. the opposite of what you actually thought it was. Okay, blindsiding is one of my greatest fears. Where you're on a date, you think it's going great. You're in a meeting, you're giving a pitch, you're like, yes, this interview's gonna go so well. And you get home, you don't get a call. You don't get a text, you get a follow up, you get ghosted. Okay, I think that the reason why this happens is because we're, we get so in our own heads, we have rehearsed answers, we have great stories we wanna share, but we are not reading their cues. And this is the biggest mistake that smart people make. This is not a dumb thing. This is actually a smart thing. So if you are highly intelligent, highly smart, very aware, the mistake that you make is you miss the cues being sent to you because you're focused on delivering the best, brightest, most smart thing that you can think of. And that actually blinds us. So one of my kind of motivations for this book was I don't want anyone to be blindsided anymore. You know, for many years, I don't even talk about this part in the book, is I had, I think, toxic people in my life. I think I allowed people to blindside me where mm. I was spending time with people and I wasn't reading their cues. I was really in my head. I was focused on being my best and brightest self and I missed their toxic cues. And so I think that I want to empower people to be able to read exactly what cues are being sent to you so you are never blindsided. Yeah. I want you to know exactly what's going to happen next. Yeah. So let's get started, girl. Right, let's do it. Let's go down the rabbit hole. Okay, so there are four different kinds of cues. I think a lot of people, when they think about cues, they think about like body language. Mm -hmm. And body language is one of them. So nonverbal is uh, the, the big uh, communication channel. Research finds it's about 60 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. That's a lot. Insane. It's insane. It's insane because we often think about our verbal and not as much as how we say it. So nonverbal, facial expressions, that's also our body language and our body posture. That's only one column, though. The second is verbal, which obviously we talk a lot about, so our words. And the last two are the ones that I think we never think about. That is vocal. So our inflection, our volume, our pace, our cadence, what our voice tone and our vocal cords give away, or what people what we're hearing, what that gives away, how they're feeling. And the last one is imagery, the colors we wear, the ornaments we wear. Like for example, even just here, if we were to think about a snapshot, like if we see your Wonder Woman necklace, yeah. that is uh, an emblem that shows something about your nonverbal brand. That shows strength and courage and power. It tells me about your, your role model, your hero, your goals. Today I chose red 
I don't know if you could guess why. Yeah, right? buddy. I'm on in the a front red mood. Book cues. <laughs> I'm in a red mood today. And there's also color cues, colors cue us in certain ways too. So the last one is imagery. Colors, cues, ornaments, our jewelry, our hair for both men and women. Um, the images and the props behind us in our profile pictures, in our dating pictures. So um, I think that what people, when they're thinking about their dating pictures, they think about their face, how they look, their hair, maybe what they're wearing, but we don't always think about other information that we can use to help us cue, okay? And that's props. So some really fascinating research looked at the different props that we hold in pictures. And what these do is they create neural maps. So neural maps, I know that sounds fancy, but actually all it is is that one prop can activate an entire neural map in your brain. And it, it, you might have read this part in the book, but hopefully you won't remember it, but okay. So think of a moon. Everyone think of a moon. Think of a moon over the ocean. Close your eyes, think of it. Now tell me a laundry detergent. So most people after they hear that would say Tide, the laundry detergent. And they actually did this in the lab. They actually found that they could cue people to the answer they wanted with specific imagery cues. Because when we think of a moon and ocean, we think of gravity, we think of tides. Why this is really powerful, especially in dating, is people are making these really quick decisions. And so in a picture, you don't want to just want to be pretty or handsome. And I think that's what people focus on. I want to be pretty or handsome. Mm. You also want to activate neural maps. That's how you get that extra second when someone's like, swipe, 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 and they pause for an extra second. It's because you've activated a neural map. So for example, a, a dog might activate someone's neural map. If someone has a, their own dog, they're gonna think of all the warm and fuzzies with their dog. Mm. That one's obvious. There's also not so obvious ones. Like, so for example, like a snowboard could activate adventure and travel mm. or a type of food in the background of your picture, right? If you see a bowl with chopsticks and they think it's pho, that could activate the right kind of neural map for the right people. So I want you to think about what neural maps do you want to activate, right? Do you want someone who's a passionate foodie or really outdoorsy or um, uh, really into book smarts? Have those props in your pictures. Mm -hmm. That's going to activate those neural maps around you. One weird one, one weird one is, research shows straight men should not hold cats. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this study was quite clear. That when straight men hold cats, women do not find them as attractive. I don't know why. I'm so sorry to the cat lovers out there. Can I tell you why? Because when, when I heard you saying this, immediately I was <laughs> like, oh, women won't like that. And I, it, it wasn't surprising only because I actually like cats. Yeah. But they are dismissive. They are the king of the castle. <gasps> they don't care about you as an owner. They will absolutely claw your eyes out if you, given a chance between them and you they'll choose them every time. Dogs aren't like that, dogs are loyal. Dogs yeah. are like um, forgiving. They'll sit at your feet. Like yeah. it's, it's like, so it's a You're different- right. It activated a personality neural map. Yeah. You just answered a question that I've literally had for ah. years since reading this study, is that's right, is a cat is not just a cat, so right? The way that neural maps work is it's clusters of words. Mm. So let's say that there's a rose in your picture, right? That might make someone think of, sure, flowers, but it also might make them think of The Bachelor. Right? Mm. It also might make them think of their grandmother because their grandmother always had red roses. So the clusters of words, and you're right, a cat is not just a cat, it also has a cluster of personality traits, right? Yeah, like sometimes more standoffish, sometimes more mysterious. And if women want a man who's going to be loyal, they might not think of that in their neural map for a cat. So I think that 
this is like a little superpower, right? So mm. don't just think about your attractiveness or your approachableness in these photos, including your LinkedIn photos, right? How can you add cues, imagery cues that are going to help you? So like even for example, in the background of LinkedIn profile pictures, what could you add in the background? Like there's a difference between if you're on a green background or if you're in a corporate background. Mm. On our videos, one thing that I've learned is if I can have props behind me that help my cause, it makes my clicks better. It makes my watch time better. So, you know, we, we mm -hmm. talked about the four different types, right? So um, nonverbal, verbal, vocal, and imagery. There's also the way I like to think about this is there's two goals with our cues. And this is also with reading people, is that we are constantly trying to assess someone's warmth and competence. That researcher, Dr. Susan Fisk, this incredible research out of Princeton, found that 82% of our judgments of people have to do with warmth and competence alone. That's, That's crazy. Yeah, we, we end up, we think, oh, I want them to think we're funny and likable and smart and um, efficient and powerful. Actually, warmth Intelligent. and Yeah, warmth and confidence are really the ones that are the most important. So if you can cue someone for your warmth and competence right off the bat, it actually speeds up your connection. And is that in every situation, whether you're dating, it's a work situation? Every situation. So for example, if behind me on my YouTube channel, I often put chemicals, like I put my favorite chemicals yeah. behind me. The reason I did that is because I tend to come across as highly warm. And warmth is great, it's trust, it's likability, but I want people to take me seriously, mm. right? I want them to take me seriously whether they're just browsing my YouTube videos or they're listening to me. And I was having trouble dialing up the competence piece. And so I realized I had to add competence cues right off the bat so people knew, ah, this is a serious video. The moment I added those chemicals behind me, it added competence in that very first frame. People knew, oh, this is a learning video. Mm. Right? Yes, it will be a little funny sometimes. I'm only funny sometimes. Yes, I hope that I can trust her, but actually this is a learning video. And so what I want you to think about, whether you're dating or you're talking about your social interactions or your LinkedIn profile, is what are your intentions? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, what do you want to show? Is it warmth? Is it a lot of likability warmth? Is it competence? That's what you should be queuing for. And that's also what others are queuing you for. So I also, the next level here is reading people. When you're looking at someone's profile or picture or you meet them for the first time, what cues are they sending to you to try to cultivate your impression of them? Okay, I love that. Let's okay. keep going down yeah. this because this is yeah. fascinating. So let's say you're meeting someone for the first time. I'd love for you to break down the cues on yes. certain things like the nonverbal and the verbal because you're so amazing yeah. at being very specific. And then I'd love to dive into then how do you know in those moments? So let's take dating, right? It's yeah. or a high stress situation. And high stress is an anxiety is happening yeah. because you've got the excitement, you've got the nerves, yeah. all of this that comes with any situation where you may not be 100% confident. Yeah. So how do you decipher the cues that are accurate or the cues that are accidental due to the circumstances? Mm. Okay, that's a, one of our biggest challenges as cue readers, right? Because some of our cues we can control, right? Like I can sit up straight, I can have good posture, I can smile at you when I want. Like I can purposefully do all those things. But actually what is more accurate, what we know is not put on or forced, mm -hmm. are the small cues that people do, especially while they're listening. So I find that when you're reading people, you can read while they're talking, but actually it's much more interesting to read while they're listening. And that's because when someone's talking, they're in presentation mode, right? Mm. Like they, they've either rehearsed the answer. So let's say that there's, um, there's two different kinds of people, people with ill intentions, people with good intentions. If someone has ill intentions, they've rehearsed what they want to manipulate. They've rehearsed what they want to say. 
right? So bad actors will present themselves with the perfect kind of cues they think can add to it. Good actors, people with good intentions, didn't rehearse anything, but they're just presenting their best self. That's all on purpose. What's more interesting is when they're listening. When someone's listening, they're not rehearsing anymore. They're off the clock and their brain is much more focused on you. And so what I like to think about is, okay, what can I observe while someone is listening? That's actually much better for reading people. Same thing on Zoom calls. Oh, my favorite thing on a Zoom call is if I'm presenting, I make my face small. Yeah. I don't want to see my own face. I pull up other people's faces mm -hmm. and I specifically look at people's faces on video to see what are they doing while they're listening. Mm -hmm. Are they open to me? Are they agreeing with me? And so we can talk about those cues of what yeah, we're looking yeah. for. That, I, I like listening cues better. Never don't because I'm so in my own head, right? So I'm just like, <laughs> what cues am I giving off as I'm talking? Mm -hmm. And you know, so I we definitely want to go down those cues, but I didn't even really think about when someone's listening to you. Mm -hmm. And obviously that me that is I assume a skill that's going to be uh, you need to train because sometimes it's hard to talk, make sure that you're projecting yourself in an accurate way and take in sure. what the other person's doing. Sure, and that's why like the, this is perfect like during the kind of like easy small talk banter, mm. right? When you're not like delivering the hardest part of your presentation, but you're like, you know, so uh, yeah, did you do anything exciting this weekend? And you can talk about your weekend very casually while still observing all the listening mm. cues. That is a much easier way to sort of get warmed up and hopefully next level, by the end of this video, when we'll be next level, they'll be able to do it even while you're talking. All right, I okay. love it. All right, so the first basic thing you want to know is warmth. So what the research finds is that warmth and competence is actually chronological. So they can happen at the same time, but warmth comes first. Mm -hmm. Humans, when they first meet each other, they ask each other two questions about each other. Can I trust you and can I rely on you? Trust is the first one. And so how do we know if we can trust someone? That is the most important question we can ask ourselves about someone, right? Okay. So the warmth cues are, here are my favorite warmth cues, which you want to look for when listening. This is what you want to see okay. from someone to see if they're a good actor. The first one you're doing right now, you're smiling and you are nodding. You are giving me lots and lots of <laughs> nods. Lisa, I love your nods. I love them so much. Oh my God. Can I just say, I got a criticism in one of my recent videos Ooh. that in the comment section. Who did that? Was that? Like, basically like, oh my God, she's so distracting with her nods. And in fact, in that moment, I was like, it actually is a little, like, as I was watching myself, I was like, I, it is a little distracting, but I'm so in it. Like, I so block out, when I do interviews, yeah. I so block out everything else. Yeah. And so if you're saying something, like, yeah. I just want to be like, oh my God, but I don't want to interrupt you. So I'm trying to actually signal to you that I love what you're saying yes. without me interrupting you. And you're not even really in control of your nods, which is no. why <laughs> listening, why, which, exactly, you're not, if, even if you were to say, you're, you know what, that person is right, which they're not, I should stop nodding, you wouldn't be able to stop because you're <gasps> I listening. I would, yeah, you're right. That's why listening, looking at the cues, mm. decoding someone while they're listening is actually so good because it's very hard to control our cues while we're listening. Okay, so. I know that I can trust you because you are giving me high warmth cues. So here are some high warmth cues. So nodding. Nodding is a very open, right? When we nod, we're taking it in, we're agreeing. Research finds that when you slow nod at me, and I love a good slow nod, right? A one, a two, a three. I speak three to four times longer. Oh. Okay. So if you want to encourage someone to keep talking. Tell me more. For my, and if you work with introverts or you're dating introverts and you want them to keep going, you're on a date, and you ask a question, oh, so have you been on any um, good holidays recently? Yeah, some good ones. And you want them to keep going. Don't say anything. 
and do a slow triple nod. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That triple nod, research shows, they are three to four times, they're gonna speak three to four times longer. So they're more likely to take it as a nonverbal dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. So that's great. You want to see nodding, you wanna see smiling, you wanna see lean ins. So this is a great lean, this is a great charisma cue. When we want to engage with something and they actually found that the lean, yeah, like, right? Like really like, um, in, even in my book cover, I am slightly leaning forward because I'm trying to show mm. warmth. So when you lean in, if you just, wherever you are right now, just lean in for a second, it will actually activate a specific part of your brain that is about motivation. That we feel more motivated when we lean in, why? It activates our five senses. If you wanna smell something, mm. what do you do? Lean in. If you wanna to touch something, what do you do? Ooh, that's soft. And I'm closer to you be able to it. touch it. Yes, we're in space zones, which we can talk about too. Yeah. So the reason our brain knows, oh, if I'm leaning in, I better activate all my senses mm -hmm. and he hear, smell, see, touch, taste better. So if someone is leaning in towards you, if they're nodding, if they're smiling, their brain is literally saying, take it in, tell mm -hmm. me more, take it in, tell me more. You just did another one, which I really liked, which is the eyebrow raise. So the eyebrow raise is also a high warmth cue because when we raise our eyebrows up, we can actually see our face from farther away. It's a universal engagement cue. So when you're listening, the first thing you're decoding is for warmth. You're looking for any of those five cues. Are they on my side? Are they trusting me? If someone is leaning, nodding, smiling, eyebrow raising at you, it is very likely that you can trust them and they trust you. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you anymore. And that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc dot com slash lisa and download the zocdoc app for absolutely free then find and book a top rated doctor today that's zocdoc z-o-c-d-o-c dot com slash lisa zocdoc dot com slash lisa now can you give me the opposite what yeah. if you, you can't trust someone okay. what are the cues okay so here are the cues I don't want you to see, but if you do see them, it's really important to take note of them. This is how we can prevent toxic people, mm. I think, from coming into our life. This is how, you know, have you ever been on like, um, it's been a long time since I've been on a date, but with someone and they're giving you all the right answers, but your spidey sense is like, something doesn't feel right. And you can't figure it out. You're like, you know, they said all the right things. 
but I just don't feel like it's right. It's yeah. that gut intuition, like yes. something's just telling you. Yes, your subconscious is incredibly good at reading cues, but for some reason we've forgotten them. Kids are, babies and kids are actually really good at reading cues. So mm. give your brain, it has a superpower, and its superpower is to read these cues, but you have to give it a voice. I think that by mm. learning to know what you're spotting, you can go, oh, that's a danger zone cue. So that's the last area we want to talk about, the danger zone cues. Yeah. So warmth, competence, danger zone. Danger zone cues are cues that are not horrible in themselves. They just, they raise little red flags. It makes you think something is being withheld, something makes someone feel shame or guilt. There's something going on there. There's, a, there's something that's not congruent there. Okay, so some of our danger zone cues. Uh, the first one is actually a lip purse. So a lip purse is when we smash our lips together. Lance Armstrong did this in his Larry King live interview when he lied about doping. This is because liars press their lips together. We talked a little bit about this in our mm. last interview. So if someone suddenly presses their lips together, like let's say that you ask them a question, um, or let's say that you're, you're watching them while you're, they're listening, and you say, yeah, you know, I just, I love to travel. And they're like, hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might want to stop there. Stop talking, right? And switch into not listening mode and be like, oh, like, do you love to travel? Have you traveled recently? And you might learn, oh, they do love to travel, but they haven't traveled recently because they're afraid of getting sick. That would be a very helpful thing to know that they're extra cautious. So you never know exactly why you're seeing those danger zone cues, which is why it's great to do it and then pause and be like, I'm going to dig deeper. Mm. I'm going to figure out why that happens. So a lip purse. And it's okay to call someone on the lip purse? Oh, okay. So we, you have two choices when you see a danger zone cue. Two choices, maybe even three choices. You see a danger zone cue, right? One is you make a mental note and you wait, right? So I make a mental note, mm, he or she lip pursed while I was talking about travel. I'm gonna try to circle back to that. I'm gonna see if it comes up again, right? So then I can bring up travel again and see if I see another danger zone cue. So just take a note, don't do anything. Second is to actually address it, right? So, so do you like travel? And the third one, which like, I'm cautious to, I'm cautious to share, but you can do it, is you actually acknowledge that you spotted a cue. That's something I would actually do. If, so this, this takes guts, and I'm not surprised you would do it. I'm a little <laughs> afraid, I'm a little afraid to do it. But the way that this would sound is um, if uh, your partner is like, oh yeah, you know, I'm fine. You say, you don't look fine. Right. You don't sound fine. Are you sure you're fine? Mm. Or someone says, um, you know, I, 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 I'm really um, upset about that. You know, you're saying you're upset, but are you really upset? You don't look upset. Mm. So you actually call out the discrepancy. And to be honest, yes, the, the reason why I do that is to get clarification within myself yeah. because it's like the, the, the deciphering of the cue, yeah. right? It's like, well, did I read that right? Did I not? And if it's yeah. someone I'm close to, yeah. I'm always trying to be open about, hey, you just gave me a signal just right now that maybe I am misinterpreted yeah. as like almost giving them the opportunity. And then also, if they don't have the confidence to say what they're really feeling, it right. kind of allows them to yeah. by me saying, maybe I misread it and then they can be like, actually, no, I am bothered by this. Okay, so that's a really good point is that you're giving them permission. Mm. So maybe we don't have to think about it as like, I'm calling them on right, it, right? right? Like, right. I saw a lip purse. Like that can be a little harsh, <laughs> yeah. but you're giving them permission to be like, not okay. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. a lot of the times mm -hmm. we have a really, a lot of pressure to always be okay, which is why in relationships, professional relationships and romantic relationships, people are like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Well, they're not okay. 
And so maybe like that's a gift that you can give someone to say like, listen, like it's okay if you're not okay. It's okay if you don't like travel. <laughs> or like even like in early dating situations, if you see that and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I love travel and they show a negative cue can be like, you know, are you in travel? It's totally cool if you're not. Mm -hmm. Like that's a gift of permission. So that's also a way of reframing is it's not a call out, but it's a gift of permission. Um, the other way that this can sound, and this is another danger zone cue, or this is a cue that can be good or bad, so let's talk about it, which is the lower lid flex, right? The lower lid flex. So the lower lid flex is a really interesting cue because it can be positive or negative. The lower lid flex is what we do when we want to see something better. So when we want to take in a lot of our environment, we widen our eyes, right? We widen our eye eyelids and our eyebrows to take in as much of the environment as possible. When we want to see details, we harden our lower lids and we lessen the amount of light that can come in so we can see details. So if you ask someone, do you see that on the floor? People will go, uh, oh yeah, I see it, right? When someone is deeply listening, when they are really trying to be scrutinizing or intense, they will harden their lower lids as if to say, really, I want to see that better. And we do that even if we're just talking to someone. So when I'm asking a question that is, particularly complex, you, li you lid flex at me. And that's great because I know that you're with me. You're like deeply listening. You're like, okay, I'm following, I'm following, I'm following, right? Yeah. So in a romantic situation or interpersonal situation, if you see someone lid flex and you're saying something positive, like they're listening and they're like, oh, they are in it. They're in it with you. They're trying to understand you. Yes, great. If you said something that maybe is um, something negative or something that you're trying to do, or something they could be skeptical of and they lower lid flex, that might be a moment where you can say, does that make sense? Mm. All good? Especially in professional situations, that lower lid flex has clued me into something that doesn't make sense. So if I'm in a team meeting and I notice that someone on a video call does the lower lid flex when I'm going through a process of our launch or something with the YouTube channel, I can be like, are we all good? Does that make sense? I'm gonna pause here and take some questions. Or even, Chris, is that, are you good? Are we cool? That is a really respectful way to see a potentially negative cue and nicely and kindly address it. All good? Any questions? Anything I can do? Another danger zone cue. The, we've talked a lot about nonverbal. Let's talk about vocal. Yeah. So I love talking about vocal. Um, the question inflection. So the question inflection, also fondly known as up talk. We're in California right now, so um, is it like a is it like a California thing? Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So yeah, so you know, um, Valley Girls. So they use up talk, which is the question inflection. So they sound like this: Like I'm really happy to be here, and it's so great to sit with you. And can I ask you some questions? So it goes up, up. almost like it is a, always a question. Always a question. So the question inflection is great for questions. It's a wonderful one to use on questions. The problem is, is when the question inflection is used on statements. Mm. And so um, liars typically uh, use the question inflection on their lies because they're actually asking, do you believe me? Right? So in Two Truths and a Lie, we play a lot of Two Truths and a Lie in our lab. We talked about this in our last interview. Um, I have people come into the lab and they share Two Truths and a Lie. They almost always will use the question inflection on their lie. That's amazing. So they'll say like, um, oh yeah, uh, uh, I'm a vegetarian. I have two dogs, and I love green beans. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so clear. Yeah, and that's because they know that one's not a statement. They know that one is not true, and they're asking, 
Are you buying it? Interesting. Do you believe me? So the question inflection, a danger zone is when you're not seeing that matchup. When someone says something, but they use a question. Like, in a dating scenario, this would make me very nervous if someone said, you asked, so, you know, what's your relationship like with your ex? And they said, oh, we get along really great. Um, you know, we've, we we're really friendly and um, I really like her. Those question inflections would make me nervous because why, if they truly believe it, would they be questioning it, right? And so that would make me take note of why are we not being authoritative? So the opposite of the question inflection is the authoritative voice tone. That's when we go down at the end of our sentences. A really good example of this is uh, former President Barack Obama. So Barack Obama is known for his authoritative tone. What Barack Obama does is he has a lot of space in his mouth and that creates a nice resonance. We can talk about um, why that's very charismatic, mm -hmm. but when you have space in your mouth and your vocal cords, it makes you lower, it sounds competent. And then he slings his voice down at the end of his sentences. So here's my Come Obama impression. I'm, I'm gonna do it so you can hear how it sounds. Yeah. So you'll go, um, Sasha, Malia, it's really important that we talk about this right now. Mm. What's facing our country is a major crisis. And if we don't deal with this crisis right now, we are going to have major problems. <laughs> so obviously I'm speaking nonsense, but you can hear that cadence is a very particular kind of cadence and it's, it captivates us because he is giving us the opposite of the question inflection. He's saying, I believe my statements so much that I'm gonna actually command them down. There is no question in my voice. And so when we're listening to someone, we hear the question inflection as, Uncertainty, not sure, doubt, disbelief, sometimes deception. When we hear someone use the dominant inflection, downward, 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 that's very authoritative, almost dominant, right? I would not recommend that you always use the dominant inflection. You should only use the dominant inflection when you're really sure of something, hmm. right? Like that just made like, I'm sure of this. So it's almost like a punctuator. So that, that, that I want you to think about inflection too. We can't forget about inflection as well. Yeah, and I love it. I just actually want to keep going because yeah. you give a great example in the book of like how this really does in real time actually affect yeah. potentially your life. So if you can take us through the Shark Tank story yes. because there's so many situations where they don't come back from that. That's right. Or they build a billion dollar company. Right. Okay, so what we, I love Shark Tank. So Shark Tank is a show where entrepreneurs go and pitch a panel of sharks or investors to invest in their business. It's a great show to watch cues. And so my research team and I were curious, what makes a successful pitch? All of these are good ideas. All of these are successful people. They wouldn't make it on the tank if they weren't. Why is it that some get a deal and some don't? And they're big deals, they're not little deals. Mm. So what my research partner, Jose Pina, and I did, thank you, Jose, for researching all these talks, is we did, he analyzed 495 pitches on Shark Tank. Ooh. 495 pitches on Shark Tank. 495 <laughs> pitches on Shark Tank, okay, it's a lot of pitches. It's a lot of pitches. And we coded on as many variables as we could think of because we didn't know what we were gonna look for. So we looked at hand gestures and smiling and inflection and space and inner, everything we could think of to see if we could find patterns. And one of the ones we noticed during this coding was Jamie Siminoff's pitch. So Jamie Siminoff is the founder of Ring. Um, I use Ring on my own doorbell. Yeah. It is a massively successful company on millions of homes around the world. And it was acquired by Amazon for over a billion dollars with a B, right? What most people don't know is that he almost ruined his company and had a failed Shark Tank pitch. And this is someone who eventually got 
funding from Shaq and Richard Branson, but yet he could not get a deal in the Shark Tank. And the reason for this is even though it was a great idea, he shared it with the wrong cues. So what he did is he chose to go into the tank and close the doors. Now, if you ever watch Shark Tank, there's a really important part of Shark Tank where you watch the entrepreneur walk down the shark tank. And that is actually a critical piece of our first impression. The reason for this is because of the four space zones. And that's because when we are getting to know someone, we want to see them come into our personal space. Mm. So these pitchers would walk down the hallway and they would come into the tank and they would stand on the carpet and they would say, hi sharks, I'm here to pitch you a deal. What Simonoff did, and he made a, a not a great choice with this, I don't know if it was the producer's fault or not, he closed the doors to the tank and he knocked on the shark tank door. And he said, hello, it's Jamie. And he went up at the end of his, his name. When we ask our own name, it is the fastest and biggest way that we give away our power. It's like saying to someone, I'm so not confident in myself that I'm going to ask you my own name. I'm going to ask you permission. So he says, knock, knock, knock. It's Jamie, and Mark Cuban goes, you know, hi. And he says, here to pitch. So he used two question inflections in the first few seconds of hearing him, and that immediately gave away his competence. It made them doubt him, and he had a really hard time taking, having those sharks take him seriously. They would not take his deal seriously, and they eventually excused him from the tank. And I think it was all in those first few seconds. That question inflection is so, so powerful. I love that so much because that really does drive home exactly what you're saying. It's not about all the other, like, the, the big totality of yeah. Sometimes it can be these tiny, tiny, freaking minute things. And it's not about what he was trying to sell because, like you just said, it was a billion-dollar company. Yeah, so it's a great idea. A product, it's a great idea. Yes. So it's not even about the product. It, it is the delivery. And the delivery then makes something either a smash success or it ends up being, you know, 20 years later, you're like, I had this idea for a ring yes. thing and I didn't get a funding, so. And this is, I think, the, Jamie Siminoff is incredibly intelligent. He's right. incredibly smart. He had an incredible idea. And so this is the problem, again, smart people suffer with this. This is not a problem of people mm. who aren't smart enough. This is actually the problem of people who are too smart. Very, very smart people, they prep for an interview or negotiation or presentation and they prep their ideas. They want their ideas to be amazing, right? They're pitching to their boss or their team. They, want, they have their dream job and they're like, I have to have the perfect answer. And so they script out the perfect answer and they go in there and they're blindsided. They don't know why they're giving the perfect answers, but people are on their computer checking their email. <laughs> they're not getting any nods or any... Uh, smiles or any leans or not seeing any of those warmth cues and they're like what's going on and that's just like Jamie Siminoff if you are smart you might run into this problem where people underestimate you and your ideas because you are not delivering them with the right competence and warmth yeah oh my god it's so powerful it really yeah. is um, you actually mentioned space zone yeah I really want to go okay. into this because I it was like the first time I'd really heard about how you, you break it down yeah so this is I also when I read this science and this is research that I was like Oh, this is happening invisibly. It feels like there are these invisible rules mm -hmm. that are happening in our interactions that we're not aware of and that we accidentally 
trip over or break. So one of my goals with this is like no more invisible, like let's make them invisible cues. So here's one of them, which is that there are four space zones. The fancy word for this is proxemics. People want to get fancy, yeah. <laughs> um, and so this is across genders and cultures and races, although that there are some cultural differences between exactly how big each are, but there are still four zones. They are the public zone, which is further than seven feet away. So further from seven feet away from someone, you can't really see their facial expressions that well. You kind of have to speak up for them to hear you. Mm. That's considered the public zone. Strangers, we like them to stay in our public zone where they can't reach out and hurt us. They're, we can't really see them very closely. They kind of keep their distance. The next zone is called the social zone. The social zone is around uh, three or four feet to seven feet. This is where we can see facial expressions. We can talk pretty easily. This is where we spend like networking events or at bars and clubs. We might be sitting near someone in that zone. The next zone is the personal zone. The personal zone is about a foot and a half to three feet away. Again, a little bit different based on culture. That's where we really have deep conversations. This is the perfect distance for us to have a deep conversation. If I were closer to you, I would be in, my int in your intimate zone. Mm. Your intimate zone is 18 inches away from you, and that would be way too close, right? That's like pre-kissing, yeah, right? When you're in yeah. the 18-inch zone, you're too close. The problem is, is that we are messing this up digitally in what I call mm. digital close talking. Mm. Have you ever had a close talker? <laughs> Most older people, all you oh, see is I like their, they're like the mouth, and they're like, it, but it's- <laughs> And they talk else. into your mouth. Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know they're like they're little like hello. I know. So yes, so close talkers. Uh, if you watch the Jerry Seinfeld episode, close talking, you might be familiar with this. But now what's happening is what I call digital close talking. So in real life, we're kind of vaguely aware of these zones. I know not to walk up into your intimate space, but digitally, what's happening is we're hopping on video, and the camera is 18 inches from our face. And so all of a sudden, our very first impression is whoa. We're in someone's zone, and we don't know why. Have you ever had like that awkward, uh, at the start of a video call, we were like, I'm on camera. It's probably because either you are too close to your camera or they are too close to their camera. Instinctively, your brain goes too close, too close, too close, awkward, awkward, awkward. And you'll notice, and I've seen this on video calls, people will hop on too close, and there's like this, oh, uh, hi. And they both sit back, and they're like, so how's it going? It's like they had to get out of that zone. So please, please, please measure the distance between the tip of your nose to your camera. I love how precise you are. I mean, let's get yeah, precise, yeah, right? Yeah. So like measure the tip of your nose to your camera mm. and make sure you are at least 18 inches away. If you are taking selfies, just keep in mind, closer than 18 inches away is intimate. So if you are on a dating profile, you might want that. Mm. Right? You might want something that's up and close and personal, intimate. That is going to send off intimate signals. If you are like just getting to know someone, if it's a profile picture, LinkedIn profile picture, if you're farther away, so this is more than 18 inches away, this is going to be more casual. That you'll notice that when people are doing like personal, you know, Snapchats or Instagrams or TikToks, they're right up here, they're yeah. really close, they're telling you how it is. But when they're a little further away, hey guys, just want to tell you about a morning smoothie, <laughs> right? It's farther away. So we are aware of these but I want you to use them to your advantage. And I also want you to use them for decoding. So we're talking about decoding people. Yeah. See how close people get to you. Are they sending you videos and pictures here or here? When they walk up to you at a, in a meeting or in a bar, at a restaurant, are they planting at four feet away? Do they wanna sit next to you on the table? 
Are they coming into your intimate space to give you a hug or a cheek kiss and then staying in the personal zone? That is going to indicate to you how close they are and how close they want to get. Mm. So it's a really great tool for decoding, actually. Yeah, that's so, I love that you said that. And then um, that the kind of makes me then think of something else you talk about, which is fronting. Yes. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, also like the, if you sit next to somebody versus like, because mm -hmm. that's the thing, right, on dates. It's like, yeah. do you sit next to you, the person you're dating or yeah. do you sit opposite the person you're okay. dating? Okay, so this is a couple different things. Like, let's unpack them because those are actually really, really good questions. They can affect your entire date. Mm. And I actually looked into, there's a lot of research on seating, so we can talk about yes, seating. Yes, please. I know. I love this subject so much. It matters. Yes. It matters. Okay, so first fronting, which I love. So fronting is sort of a side cue to space. And the reason for this is because fronting is when we angle our body towards the person we're talking with. So yes. if we're fully fronting our toes, our torso and our heads are fully in alignment, yeah. right? You would know. Now, by the way, we don't do the interview like this as much because then it kind of is exclusive. Yeah. It's not as inclusive to everyone. That's the only reason why, because I way prefer facing someone head on than I do like at the side, but it's... But that, but that, I just think this is, this is what's interesting is the way that you have your chairs angled, the way that we're set up is actually beautiful because I'm saying when I really want to talk to you, I'll angle the top of me towards mm. you. And then I'll also kind of angle out towards the cameras. It's actually a way of being inclusive. If we did the entire interview like this, everyone would feel really left out. Oh, right? You. We don't want to feel left out. We don't want to feel left out. So when you're in an important interaction and you want them to feel like you are there and you also want to decode, are they really on the same page as me? Watch their toes. Watch their toes. When we are really into someone, um, anecdotally, we found that we can usually predict office crushes we can, not always <laughs> anecdotally, I can usually go to a, like a Christmas party mm. or like a work party and by looking at people's toes, I can usually tell where the office crushes are. And that is because when we have a crush on someone, we wanna be fully engaged with them, so we point our toes towards that person and that's where we wanna to move towards. Mm. Right? When we're walking towards something, we angle our toes towards them. So in a good interaction on Shark Tank, someone starts in the public zone, they walk, into the per walk through the social zone, walk into the personal zone, and in a really good pitch, they reach over and they hand out tasty treats. They reach over and hand out samples. We actually found that interactivity was the number one predictor of what pitch would go well. And I think it had to do with fronting and space. Mm -hmm. Is it if the person remained on the carpet the whole time, they were always in the social zone. It's really hard to connect with someone deeply and trust them and give them your money if they're in the social zone. So the really good pitchers would have some reason to cross over into the shark zone. Mm -hmm. So they would be like, oh, you know, here, here's a puppy for you, or you know, <laughs> here's a salsa for you to taste, or here's a cupcake for you. And they'd walk into their shark's intimate zone, hand them something, and if you watch on camera, they'll actually lean down front with them and say, here you go, Barbara, here, Lori, here, Kevin, for a brief moment of full fronting, right, full alignment, and also a real brief moment in that intimate zone. And I think that those sharks were literally like, ah, oh, this person, I trust them enough to be close to me. I'm much more likely to get engaged with them. Yeah. I, I, so yeah, so fronting space zones, right? So to show engagement, angle your toes towards the person you're with. The most important person in the room, a boss, a VIP, angle your toes towards them, even if you're across the room. And if you wanna know if someone is very into you <laughs> or aligned with you, watch their toes. It's not a great date if someone is angled out 
And this always makes me really nervous when I love my, my husband and I sit at restaurants and like, you know, are you creepy look and we like yeah. watch everyone. We like guess. We have a game yeah, where we guess. We do you know? too. Are they right? on their fourth day? Yeah, 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 exactly. And so like, like on their fifth day, are they friends? Are they siblings? Is yeah. it going well? Is it not going well? We love doing it. And one of the easiest ways to tell if a day it's going well or not is if someone is, you know, angled away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're just giving you head attention. Their body and their feet are looking somewhere else. They are not fully engaged with you. It is a sign of nonverbal respect to say, I'm going to angle my entire body towards you. This also can happen if you're on a date or you're in an interaction and you say something that made someone disengage. Mm. So if you say something that makes them nervous, like, you know, and I really, really want to have a family. I really want to have children. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've always, I've always, I've thought about kids too. And they shift the body. And they shift their body oh. out in a way. That's a literal mm. signal that we can't control, a listening cue, right? If someone's like, oh, mm. and it shakes them out, that, that somehow disengaged them or made them just a little bit nervous. And so you also want to look for sudden not fronting or, or distancing. It's called distancing um, for looking at the actual cue. So the one thing that actually you do talk about, though, is also context. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, some people may go, okay, I've watched the episode. I've read, <laughs> you know, Vanessa Van Edward's book, Cues. Yeah. I got this shit. Yeah. I know. Oh, my God. Their toes aren't towards me. Screw that. I'm not going on a second date. They weren't <laughs> no. interested. No. Right? Okay. 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 Yes, yes, yes. So first of all, always give someone the nonverbal benefit of the doubt. Right? So <laughs> there's actually research on this. Um, there's the, I think we talked about this last time, the Pollyanna effect. Mm. It's always better mm. to assume good. Yes. So I do want to say that first is... This is not about gotcha moments. It's actually the more you can assume good in people and good intentions, the more accurate you are. The second thing is there are 96 cues in the book. So we've maybe talked about eight. Yeah. Right? So this is good, right? But there are a lot of cues. And 96 cues isn't even all of the cues. Like I had to cut cues because it was just too long. So first is there's a lot uh, packed into all those signals. We also want to look at context and clusters those two C's that protect us. Mm. Context and clusters protect us as decoders. If you want to be really accurate at reading people, you have to focus on context and clusters. So context very simply is, what is the context you're in? So for example, if you're in a loud bar or nightclub and, it's, and people can't hear you, they might lean in to hear you. That might not be a warmth cue, <laughs> right? Yeah. They literally might be like, what was that? And you're like, oh, head tilt, lean in, he likes me. Yeah. But he is just contextually leaning in to hear you, right? So you always want to think, is there a reason this could be happening contextually? Um, if someone suddenly distanced, did their best friend just walk in the room, right? Do they need the waiter? Mm. Are they looking for a drink? Do they have to go potty? So always think about context. What is another explanation, especially if it's a negative cue? Mm. If you've seen a negative cue, is there any benefit of the doubt I can give them for context? Can I tell you something that I do now? Yes. Because I, this is really like... Um, made my radar yeah. of the, you know, the crossing of the arms, right? Yeah, and, you yeah. know, now at this point, we know that crossing the arms is kind of like, well, this, I'm protecting my closed. space, closed mm -hmm. off. Yes. But you even say in the book, what if it's freaking cold? So the funny thing, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I actually realized what I start doing. If I cross my arms because I'm cold, I say it out loud. Yes. I'm like, oh, it's actually quite chilly. Yes. And now people know I'm not being like closed off. Yes, yes, yes. So the other power here, the confidence here, is if you know what cues mean, you can say to people what you mean. Mm. Right? So yes, oh my goodness, it's cold, it's chilly. Right? You can actually say that to someone. Right. Or like you can give explanation for your cues. Or like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm having a bad day. So if I have, you know, RBF today, that's why. 
Right? You can literally say that to people, mm -hmm. and I do say that to people. So yes, that is super powerful, and that there's a beauty in sharing why you know the cues you're sending, right? Okay, so if you know your own contacts, think of other contacts, always give someone the benefit of the doubt. The last one to protect ourselves as decoder is looking for a cluster. Mm -hmm. So a cluster is you never take one cue by itself, right? If you take one cue by itself, it could be anything, right? Like if someone touches their nose, it could be they have allergies or there's a fuzz on their nose or they just have an itch, right? It's because when we talked about um, deception last yeah. time, right? We touch our nose. nose. But someone might have allergies. So it's the same thing with any other nonverbal cue is, I, you notice I mentioned like five warmth cues mm. and I mentioned like five danger zone cues because I don't want you to look at a cue by itself, mm. right? So we're looking for the combo, the cluster of nod, smile, eyebrow raise, um, flex lid. We're looking for all those together. That signals, yes, like I'm having a warm interaction. Same thing with danger zone cues. Ah, I saw a lip purse and a distancing behavior, and they disengaged. Oh shoot, they used the question inflection. I need, I need to dig deeper, mm. right? And there's actually a, a last C, which is just confirmation. Can you confirm it? Oh yeah. Can you verbally confirm? All good? You okay? Are you sure you feel that way? Right, the last one. I love that. Is that the same as, because I've heard you say contempt, is uh. one of those ones where we actually very often misread. And, you know, contempt is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's you right. know, it's just, it is literally the danger to every um, relationship. <sighs> Man, contempt is a really good one. Th these C's are especially important for contempt because contempt, you have to make sure you're actually seeing it and what, why you're seeing it. So contempt, very simply, universally, is a one-sided mouth raise. So if someone just smirks their mouth, either side, right? Yeah. Kind of like a, it's like a smirk. Mm. If you try this, by the way, and tap into how you feel, really intuitive people will actually feel kind of better than. Like, yeah, mm. all right, whatever. It's like a better than, it's like a scorn, disdain, it's, it's negative. The problem is most people think of the contempt smirk as okay mm. or half happiness. I see so many profile pictures where people are like, mm. Mm. I'm like, well, what are you doing? You're showing contempt by accident because it's trying, it's like apathetic. It's like mm. kind of look cool, but actually it's an incredibly negative cue. In our body language quiz, we have a body language quiz where we have people just um, test themselves on facial expressions. Contempt is the number one cue people get wrong. Number one cue. And they usually think it's boredom and it's the opposite of boredom. So. What Dr. John Gottman found, and this is like the most incredible, one of the most incredible research experiments in the book, I think. Dr. John Gottman is a marriage and family counselor in Seattle, and he looked at married couples. And he wanted to know why couples stay together and why couples get divorced, and can you predict it? So he brought couples into his love lab, and he tested them on everything he could think of. So from body language to answers to history to health, to children, to where they lived, to economic status. He looked at everything he could think of, and he found that there was only one single indicator of divorce, that couples who showed contempt, only one member of the couple had to do it, during the initial intake interview, were 93% likely to get divorced. 93%. So if one member of the couple in the initial intake interview went, mm-hmm, that's my wife. Ah, oh, I see. Or uh, she's really uh, anal, yeah, really uh, obsessive compulsive. And I showed that little contempt. Contempt is the only emotion that doesn't go away. So why this is such a predictor of divorce is because most of our emotions, and this is important to know as decoders, most emotions fade quickly. 
Happiness comes in a burst and then you go back to normal. Fear comes all at once and you self-soothe. Anger comes and you calm yourself down. But contempt, it's like a, it sits and it festers. Contempt or disrespect or hatred, if you feel better than someone, feel that better than, and it's not addressed, it grows and it grows and then you can't even look at your spouse for doing that, you get annoyed with everything they do, that's what that seed of contempt is. And so if you see contempt on someone's face, CCC, is it a cluster? What's the context? Is there any other reason they could feel contempt? And lastly, confirm. What made them feel contempt? It's not always obvious, by the way. Mm -hmm. You don't always know why someone shows contempt. I learned this cue many, many years ago, and ever since then, I am very aware of making sure I figure out, is it self-contempt? Sometimes people feel contemptuous of themselves. They don't like their own thought. Sometimes it's something that's being said. Sometimes it's where they are. Sometimes it's that they're hungry. I mean, you don't always know what it is. So that's why I like that last piece of confirming, hey, what's going on? Be like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes you show me contempt mm -hmm. when I talk about X. Oh. What is it? What's going on? I think that kind of verbalization is like incredibly powerful for relationships. I love that because didn't I think you even said like that stat they can even do it with the audio off. Uh, they don't even have to listen to the words that are coming out of the couple's mouth. Yeah. If one of them shows that sign, ooh, if, if Dr. Gottman can watch, thank you for adding that. That's what's so crazy. He can watch silent videos of couples and tell you with 93.6% accuracy if that couple's gonna get divorced. I mean, that is a shocking statistic, but that's what he's looking for, is he's looking for that emotion. And that's what decoders do. I think if you really wanna be accurate at reading people, you're looking for what are the hidden emotions that someone doesn't feel safe sharing. Mm. And one, can you address them? But two, can you make them feel more safe? Right, like a really accurate decoder has nothing to decode. It's all good. <laughs> they create safe spaces for people, right? Really good decoders don't have a lot that they have to do because they're constantly open and having safe spaces for people to share and not hide emotions. When people don't have to hide emotions, they're not hiding or sharing. They're not, they're not, they don't have anything to have to hide from you. Vanessa, my words! Oh my God. Homie, I freaking adore you. Your book is so oh, damn fire. You, Where can you. people get it? Where can people follow you? Yes. And all the free stuff bonuses you're giving oh, with the book. Oh my goodness, yes. So uh, sciencepeople.com uh, is where we have all the bonuses and we have a ton of stuff we're giving away for cues because I so appreciate every order, every order. All my breakdowns are on YouTube. So there was a bunch of uh, cues I couldn't even do in the book because they were so visual. So if you want to get a little taste test, go see my breakdown of Britney Spears. I break down Justin Bieber and The Rock. Oh man, I have all the cues. So on YouTube, wherever books are sold. Guys, guys, as you can tell, I freaking adore this woman, but it all came down to when I've read her first book. It was so directive. It gave me tips. It actually bettered my life. Go buy this book. It's so freaking detailed. Go check it out. And guys, if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Bilyeu. And if you haven't subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, guys, be the hero of your own life. Peace out. What does it mean me when I do that? Oh, that's like a signal of respect. That's good, right? I got you. Yeah. Hell yeah. There you go. Yeah. She said it. You heard it here. <laughs>